cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear, very simple. And I hope that this will be a life-changing word and pray for that and that it will bring great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Richard, for the welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. I think I'm in the process of becoming an Anglican. Two weeks ago, I preached for Paul Harcourt in North London. This past week at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. Here today, next week, St. Paul's Hammersmith. And uh, I'm enjoying it. You perhaps know that we're here partly because uh, I was at uh, New Wine last year and your vicar kindly invited me to come. And then Lyndon and Celia, who come here a lot, are very close friends. And Louise and I are thrilled to be with you. Now, the passage that I've chosen, partly because I've just written a book entitled, Whatever Happened to the Gospel, uh, but also because uh, some of you were at New Wine, and I want to make sure that I didn't overlap so that you have to hear something again. And yet, the good thing about what I shall say today, it's a reminder of what we all thought we believed, but easy to forget. And I'm going to pretend that there's somebody here who's never heard the gospel before. And that way, everybody will understand it. And it just may be that I'll say something that could have been forgotten that you need to be reminded of. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans is his longest letter, uh, and it's the longest statement of the gospel. The reason for this is that Paul envisaged going to Rome, and he wanted everybody there to know what he believed before he arrived. And there was no apostolic leadership in Rome. Therefore, he wasn't going to be elbowing in on another apostle's territory. The people that he's addressing in Rome had almost certainly been converted on the day of Pentecost. Because when the Holy Spirit fell, you may recall, there are over 20 different languages. And they came from every place. And one of them was from Rome. So these people are converted through Peter's preaching. They go back to Rome with this gospel. Now, Paul envisages going to Rome, and he wants to spoon-feed them. What is the gospel? So he starts out right at the beginning. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So important. Question, how does that make you feel? Are you ashamed of the gospel. You may say, well, of course not. Well, good. But, you know, a lot of people want to say gospel of the kingdom. And this is a phrase that's being used a lot. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
Well, Paul believed in the kingdom. He says so later on in Romans, but that's not what he says here. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, because it's the power of God for salvation. Now, you could pass, read past this and, and not pick up on the most important thing of all, salvation. What is elementary and essential, the reason God sent his son to die on a cross. Uh, people say, oh, well, we know about that. And Paul just wants you to know that this is what the whole book is going to be about. It's the power of God for salvation. So I could ask this question, are you saved? Now, that's an old-fashioned word. People get nervous about that. They prefer to say, are you committed? Uh, whatever. But the biblical word is saved. And he says, it's the power of God for salvation. So I want to ask you a question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Imagine that we passed out sheets of paper as you came in. And you don't know why you were given this, but go along with me. Pretend you've got a sheet of paper. And get out a pen and write down on that sheet of paper right now in your mind what you would say to God if he says to you, why should I let you in? And there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. Don't want to go there. So what would you say? Well, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. Now, he might have said, it's the power of God for healing. Paul believed in healing. But that's not what he says here. He might have said, it's the power of God for signs and wonders. Paul believed in signs and wonders. says so later in Romans. But that's not what he's going to talk about. It's the power of God for salvation. The most elementary, fundamental, this is ABC stuff. Power of God for salvation. And then he adds, it is to everyone who believes. That's important, who believes. It's not to everyone, full stop, to everyone who believes. And then he says, to the Jew first, the Jew gets to jump the queue, but then also to Gentiles. And uh, so he says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, and it's a righteousness that is revealed, and I must tell you, the Greek says, from faith to faith. Now, so many modern versions, they want to make it readable and uh, I get the impression sometimes they think they know more than Paul did. And when you read some, it's just a paraphrase and you miss faith. What Paul said, it's the righteousness revealed from faith to faith. In order to know what he means by that, 
you look for the phrase righteousness of God again. And it comes up in chapter 3. And this righteousness of God is revealed by the faith of Jesus Christ to those who believe. Now, by faith of Jesus, we're talking about Jesus' own faith. People forget this. Some are surprised to know that as a man, he believed perfect faith. And his faith means everything. In fact, when Paul said it to the Galatians, he said, the gospel is revealed by the faith of Jesus. We have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus. By his perfect faith, he did everything for you. He believed for you. He was baptized for you. This is why when he was baptized by John, John the Baptist said, oh, I'm not going to baptize you. You baptize me. Oh, said Jesus, you baptize me to fulfill righteousness. It's a way of letting you see that everything Jesus did, he did for the whole world. He believed for you. He was baptized for you. He kept the law for you. And then he died for you. And one might say, oh, good. He's done it all. And you might say, well, no need for us to believe because he's already believed for us. Well, Paul would want you to think that up to a point. This is why he adds the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. His faith must be ratified by our faith or we won't be saved. And that's why he says in Romans 1.16... I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. Now, there was a very popular theologian of the last century, Karl Barth. He actually taught that we're saved by the faith of Christ, full stop, and everybody's going to be saved, therefore. His view is that you didn't need to tell people they need to be saved. The good news is to tell them they've been saved. But that would miss Paul's point. That's why he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. If we don't believe, all that he did is of no value. And that's why we have in Galatians 2.16, we have believed in Jesus Christ in order that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. So that he gets all the glory. But if we don't believe, there'll be no salvation. Bible in a nutshell, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. So the question is, have you believed in him? But now to the question that I raised when I started out. Why be a Christian? That's what I want to talk to you about. Let me ask you, do you think people should be Christians? Do you believe your neighbor should be a Christian? The person you work with, your loved ones, how important is it? So on that sheet of paper, if you 
flip over on the other side, uh, write down this in your mind. Why should people be Christians? You ever thought about it? Do you think they should be? Well, you might say, they'll be much better off. Really. They'll be happier. Really. Oh, we'll help their marriage. Really? Did you know the statistics are that 50% of those married in a church end up in divorce? 50% of those married in a registry office end up in divorce? You can't use Christianity as something's going to solve your marriage problems. Well, you'll be happier. Tell your story. The first person I baptized at Westminster Chapel many years ago was a Los Angeles Jew who, flying from Los Angeles to Moscow, happened to have an office in London, and his secretary invited him to come to Westminster Chapel. He'd never been in a church in his life, but he came out of courtesy to his secretary. I didn't know he was there. I found out about it months later. He was converted that night to everyone's amazement. I mean, he was saved. He heard the gospel. He said, yes. And I later heard about him, and we actually became friends. Uh, got me center court tickets to Wimbledon. He would meet us in America. We'd go fishing together. Became great friends. Sadly, he couldn't convert his wife. He couldn't convert his children. And you know what he said to me after he had become a Christian for two years? Here's his testimony. Before I was a Christian, I was a happy man. <laughs> what a testimony. He's not complaining. He's not complaining. But he's just telling you. And it's a big mistake, I think, to say, look, here's why you should become a Christian. Well, now, Paul tells us why and I don't know if this is going to surprise you I don't know that you're going to particularly like it I have to say I fear it's something either people forget to preach they take it for granted or they're afraid it will offend people so they gloss over it. But the reason I wanted verse 18 read, Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 17, the gospel is revealed from faith to faith. For the just shall live by faith. And you perhaps know that that phrase is what got Martin Luther. This is why he wrote those 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg. Last summer, I had the, I'd say the high water mark of my ministry. Someone asked me, what is my greatest accomplishment? I've been preaching 60 years. And I can tell you, standing at the door, the Wittenberg door in Germany, standing at that door in front of TV cameras and getting to preach the gospel to the world, right where Luther did it. And why? He saw that faith plus nothing 
satisfies what Luther called the passive justice of God. Turned his life upside down, turned the world upside down. Well now, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed. Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. But many stop reading there. Verse 18 says, for, and the NIV sadly left out the word for, I don't know why. The Greek word is gar, it means because. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he now tells you why you should be a Christian. Are you ready for this? Because the wrath of God is revealed. That's what he says. The wrath of God is revealed. Some of us might say, Paul, why did you have to say that? People don't want to hear that. And you know, there's a feeling today, well, you don't want to preach that today, you're going to run people off. Well, for a long time, we've been worried about running people off, so we omit preaching certain things lest we offend them. Has it worked? No, it hasn't worked. Do you know what caused people to come running to hear John the Baptist? Do you realize that they came 20 miles from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea? Some walked, some on camels, but all Jerusalem shut down to go hear John the Baptist. And I wonder if you've ever thought of this. Do you know what is the first message of the New Testament? The very first message. You know what it is? Matthew 3, verse 7, John the Baptist said, Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And the reason he could say, Who has warned you? Because somebody should have. The teaching of John the Baptist didn't create this teaching, it was an assumption. And so when Jesus comes along, not only affirms John the Baptist, but preaches eternal punishment. He didn't invent it. It was already true. So who has warned you? Could I ask who warned you? And so often Christianity is presented in such a way that we want it to appeal to people. As if we need to be public relations people for God. There's a feeling of some, we want to make God look good. It may surprise you, he doesn't care about that. It doesn't mean a thing to him. And so the first thing Paul says right at the beginning of Romans, the reason people should be Christians is because of the wrath of God. Well, now, it's true that conversion will change your life. I could give you good reasons why you should be a Christian. Oh, I could give a lot of them. Change my life. I have someone to guide me. He protects me. He plans my life. I don't know what I would do without prayer. I don't know what I would do without the Bible. 
And all these things are fringe benefits of being a Christian. And sometimes we put the fringe benefit first because we're afraid of offending our friends. But I have to tell you, I'm to listen to Paul. The reason is because God's angry. Oh, I thought he was a God of love. He certainly is. John 3, 16, I just quoted, for God so loved the world. He certainly does. So much so he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should, uh-oh, not perish. There it is. What I'm saying to you today, don't be ashamed. Paul wasn't. I know this isn't popular, but I think I'm supposed to say this to you. Oh, by the way, would you like to hear Paul's testimony, what Christianity has done for him? Picture this. We're in an evangelistic meeting. It's held uh, in a football stadium. And just before the preacher gets up, you get a testimony, and this is often done. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. It's good. Give testimonies. But would you like to hear Paul's testimony? Paul wants you to know what Christianity has done for him. So he stands up. He says, well, I have to tell you, here's what it's done for me. This is in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Come on, Paul, you can do better than that. You're going to scare everybody off. Three times I was stoned. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been on the move. I've been in danger from bandits, in danger uh, from countrymen. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Can you imagine people say, if that's what Christianity does for you, I'm out of here. I'm not interested. I'm just letting you know. He says, I've gone without food, cold and naked. But is he sorry? Was my friend J. Michael sorry? No, but you need to know the reason you become a Christian is because one day we're all going to die. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after death, the judgment. Does this surprise you? This is Paul in Romans. I don't know how many of you have heard of Enfield, Connecticut. I've been there four times. I've gone two, mile, uh, two hours out of my way. Louise and I have gone there four times. Two hours one way to get there. Another two hours to get to where we came from. Whenever we're in New England, I go to Enfield, Connecticut. There's a vacant lot across the street from the Montessori School. There's a plaque embedded in the ground. The city fathers are ashamed of it. 
But someone has looked after this shrubbery around there. And on that plaque it reads, On this site, July 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, during the New England Great Awakening. It was the high watermark of the Great Awakening. It's the most memorable moment. When he finished preaching, people held on to church pews to keep from falling into hell. Power of God came on the service as he spoke. Men were seen outside holding on to tree trunks to keep from sliding into hell. You might like to know he preached the same sermon two weeks later. Nothing happened. God only did it once. Just to give a taste of what's coming. And so this is Paul. This is why you should become a Christian. Oh, the fringe benefits, incalculable. But this is why. So, I ask you a question. What did you write down on that sheet of paper? You stand before God. And he says, why should I let you in? What did you write down? Would you like to pass your sheets to the end of the uh, aisle? And uh, would you, uh, Vicar, go pick them up? Bring them up here and, and I'll read them. Would you like to hear some of them? Now, I don't know for sure that these would be the answers from this congregation, uh, but uh, would be in a lot of them. Here goes. Oh, here's one. It says, I've lived a good life. Whoever you are, well done. I believe you, but you're lost. Here's another one. I was brought up in a Christian home. Congratulations. That means you had a head start. That won't save you. Well, here's another. I've been baptized. I'm so sorry, but that won't save you. Well, here's another. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. You, my friend, are lost as a goose. Here's another. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar, for one thing. Here's another. I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. What is the right answer? If you did not write down on that sheet of paper in your mind, because Jesus died for me on the cross, or the equivalent of trusting what he did for me, he died for me, trust his blood that satisfied God's justice, anything like that, if you wrote that down, good. If you didn't, We'd want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But I've got two minutes left. That can all change. If you wrote down the wrong answer, I want you to pray this prayer. Don't need to bow your head. You don't need to close your eyes. But I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. 
Now, if you don't need to pray it, don't. It's just for those who wrote the wrong thing. If you didn't write that you're trusting the blood of Jesus, I want you to say right now to God, he will see you. I'm sorry for my sins. I need you. I want you. Thank you for dying for me. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart as best as I know how. I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did, did you? I have no way of knowing, but I've just got a feeling somebody did. The question is, are you ashamed of it? Are you ashamed? You say, why do you ask RT? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my fathers. Now, I didn't ask permission for this because pardon is easier to get than permission. He will forgive me, and I hope you will. But in the next 10 seconds, if you prayed that prayer and are not ashamed of it, I want you to stand up. He's in front of all these people. Yep. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, would you stand up right where you are? Well done. Beautiful. 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 Be seated. I'm finished. <laughs>